the guy who is staying here, he is back home a radio host, a radio DJ. Oh, cool. And we were talking about the podcast, and he was telling me about a new way to record this. Recording what I'm saying and what you're saying on two different tracks, and then I can mix them together. But the best part about that, someone can be lowered or, or raised, mm-hmm. so like voices don't get lost. It would give me more control in the editing. I'm just trying to... Yeah, I see how you respond to the more control. In the editing. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's powerful. Separate taping. Oh, shut up, Trisha. Words all you know over the place. You know what? Just <laughs> shut up. I'm tired. I'm not putting over any of your shit today. I'm tired, and it would make for a better listening experience. That's what uh, I'm going for. Uh huh. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, God. No, I'm just fixing <laughs> you. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly program where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friend, Trisha in LA. Hello. It's been a while. Is that usually how I start the show? Without, <laughs> not with as much gravity as you just did, I think. <laughs> I, wonder, I was like, I should have listened to an old episode. I think I hit all the notes, right? That was it. I think you did. Okay. Well, that said, it's been a long time since we've done this. I went back and I looked, and on the last rerun episode, uh, it was boldly proclaimed, new episode in two weeks, and then uh, nothing from us. I looked at our statistics. We're down to about two listeners. So. <laughs> Which is that? My mom and you? <laughs> it's like your mom and your sister. <laughs> Not even my family bailed. Like, <laughs> so... Hello, good. Uh, hello, Trisha's mom and sister. This is a highly individual podcast just for you. Uh, yeah, it's we lost all our listeners. So uh, any right. listeners, if you're crawling back, please listen to us. We're needy. No, really, we're not. Please listen. That'd be great. Or not. Or you know what? Or fuck you. You know what, everyone? Fuck you in this new media environment. Okay. Go watch Real Housewives or something. Oh, you know what? It's today. just like it's just like me. I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Oh, I was watching some show, and and I thought, oh, it's too bad. This is I'm not gonna watch this until the end because that's just how I roll. What? Like, <laughs> wait, I don't. It's you know what? There's a point in time I'm watching a series, and I just lose interest. I don't think I've ever watched the series. From beginning, I mean, I haven't in a long That's time. I think you have, I think maybe six six feet under is probably the last series I just watched because I think um, you know what show ended while we were away. Um, All of them, I don't know. The scandal, scandal, scandal. Yes. yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, "Huh, scandal." That was a time when I loved that show, and I think after the third season, I think I just was like, "Okay, bye." Yeah. <laughs> never even, returned. You were saying about um skipping shows and just watching the end i'm not going to be popular with our two or three listeners at this point but like that show a good place the good place oh yeah starring Kristen bell and ted danson so i started watching it didn't love it didn't get it but was intrigued enough to read the wikipedia entry so i just that's how i do on shows now i'm like <laughs> this is fun but not fun enough for me to invest my time i just want to see how it ends up then i'm like oh okay great and then i can <laughs> So, people great. love that show, and I swear to God, I don't know why. I don't. I don't get it. There are a series of shows that people love like that, and I watch an episode, and I'm like, I'm confused. So, I don't you know. get it. I, Grey's, it. Grey's Anatomy is one. I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. 
None of those doctor shows ever impressed me. Ever. Oh, yeah, I don't think I've ever watched, watched them. That never did. I think I made gestures towards towards watching ER um, <laughs> back in the day. But I like I pretended like I did. Like people were like, we're watching ER, come over. I'm like, I want to be popular. Okay. But like, I don't remember a damn thing. I really didn't care. Uh, the only thing that the only doctor show I liked was getting on, which I recommended oh, a year and a half ago on this podcast, which was sort of like a dark comedy look on, on hbo if you haven't seen it see it getting on it's amazing uh yeah so do you just not like genre shows like lawyer shows, <laughs> no, you know what? shows. i like lawyer shows just because i spent a lot of time in courtrooms mm. and i love shouting at the tv at all the bad law that's being practiced. <laughs> <laughs> i was like that's not the way it works that wouldn't happen and everyone in the room fun fact hates me uh, when I watch with them, I, I like lawyer shows, doctor shows. I just feel like it's dramatized to the point where I, I don't care. Um, last thing on this topic, I was thinking about this this morning. I was watching Law and Order SVU, oh, and a yes. friend of mine said that he doesn't watch the show because he's like, he's like, I just can't imagine it. He's like, imagine this. I'm watching regular Law and Order, and I'm like, you know what I need to be really entertained? More rape. <laughs> Like I can't get into this, and I was like, I never thought of it that way. Except SVU is the best one. I know, but they legit had a show that wasn't so heavy on the rape. But people were like, "We want the rape one," and that's the only one on the air now. I think we've seen enough rapes. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like it's enough. It's like okay, and all the situations. I think we've already been exposed to all the situations. After 18 years on the show and like some like child sex cult ring comes up, like the yeah. looks of surprise on these detectives' faces, I'm always like, bitch, you've been doing this for two decades. And I was like, for me, child sex cults are now run of the mill and they're still news to you? Bitch, please. Or sometimes like one time they found a teacher into BDSM. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. I was like, okay, come on. <laughs> find one cat of nine tails and now you're like oh, i can't believe people are into this bitch stop stop this is the tip of the iceberg of what people are into and you should know better yeah that's true okay oh so God. we've been away for uh, a while that's because trisha got a new job and was traveling 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 then i ha- had to travel for a couple of conferences then there's a period of time where we were both just super lazy, but we're back and a lot of stuff has happened while we've been gone. So we're just going to do like a quick roundup of all the news that we missed and just react to it. So I, I, I hardly know where to begin. I hardly know where to begin. Uh, I'm going to begin where we always have to begin is with Donald Trump. Oh. And what are we supposed to do? How long could we get without talking about him? And specifically what I what I want to bring up is the Stormy Daniels affair, double entendre with affair. <laughs> <laughs> so Stormy Daniels uh, sat down with Anderson Cooper and described her sexual interaction with the president of the United States and also detailed how she was paid off or, and, or not paid off uh, or the president denied paying her off. But then Rudy Giuliani, who works for the president this time, it's very confusing given that he's running around (laughs) torpedoing the president every second he gets. I've really spun this tale out. But at the end of the day, what happened was Stormy Daniels slept with the president for money. Michael Cohen, the president's lawyer, supposedly paid off. Stormy Daniels, the president denied knowing it until Giuliani helpfully jumped into the fray and said, oh, no, the president knew after the president said he didn't, which is causing all this kerfluffle. What I really want I'm interested in is something that you presented to me the other day, Trisha, I've been thinking about it, is that between Mueller 
and all these different government agencies trying to get a hold on Trump, the one who does, the one who actually manages to drag him down and get his attention is a porn star, a woman, first of all, but a porn star manages to get his attention and is the one who's actually putting this uh, criminal organization on the brink. What do you think about that? (laughs) I mean, the larger theme that we've been sort of tossing back and forth around Trump is that norms, right? Mm-hmm. Behavioral norms for the office. I mean, I think we already saw that he just sort of like kick bucket behavioral norms during the campaign trail. And he was rewarded for it, right? You know, the people are like, oh, this is fantastic. I mean, essentially, it's like, oh, we're going to basically have a reality like TV campaign and people are going to do things, do and say things that they normally would not do. And it was so salacious that the cameras had to be on at every single moment in time. Fast forward, he wins the election because he's captivated the public and the public then feels fairly justified in wanting this series to continue, you know? So- (laughs) Series. It is, right? So it's a series. The series continued. And so you you basically chose the series in November because we really wanted to see how it was going to go. I mean, there were lots of people, I think, on some level, was just like, I just want to see what this is all about. And so I, this whole time I've been watching the Stormy Daniels thing because I feel like things come and go. My only way of evaluating whatever happens in the administration is how long you're able to maintain the public's interests or how long the character arc will continue on the show, right? Because it's like, mm-hmm. if it's uninteresting, it goes really quickly. So we have we have all sorts of horrible things that happen. It makes a blip and then it disappears. But I'm surprised and I feel like Stormy has lasted the longest of any of the controversies. And I've just been wondering why, like why has she succeeded in hanging around the longest? And I just sort of casually said, well, you know, I really think it's because she understands this world better than most. She's not trapped by having to sort of maintain a kind of decorum that we assume politicians or people who interacted with the presidents were supposed to. Mm-hmm. She basically goes toe to toe with him. She's really, really compelling on Twitter. People try to come at her in a kind of what you would expect because she's a porn star and she happily acknowledges that she's a porn star and then says, that's not what I do on my porn show. So screw you. You know what I mean? So I feel like she can get in the dirt with him in a way that like his others, mm -hmm. the other people who've interacted with him can't. Right. It's like, it's like they still need to maintain the decorum. They still need to maintain the sense that, okay, there's just certain things I cannot say, but she will, she'll go there. She'll go to the full degree. And I think that's why in some ways she's like a worthy opponent for him because she understands his level and she's willing to go there with him. So what you're describing is that Stormy Daniels is not bound by rules. Just like nope. the president is not bound by any sort of rules. He flouts convention. He does mm-hmm. what he wants. Like uh, our, our culture surrounding the office and behavior just thrown right into the trash. It's gone. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what I was alluding to before, and it's what you're saying now is that, all of our institutions can't touch him because our institutions rely on you understanding the customs and culture of those institutions and behaving appropriately. But Trump has never done that. And so they were never going to touch him. Like, that's why he gets away with all this stuff. Like, you know, African nations are shithole nations. And I'm like, oh shit, something's going to happen. 
but no one can do anything because we're all just looking around being like, oh, you're just not supposed to say stuff like that. <laughs> Meanwhile, honey, Stormy Dan is like, his dick is this big. Okay. <laughs> I came out the bathroom and he was perched. And that works because like, those are also things you're not supposed to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's right on his level. It's you know exactly I mean? on his it's level. It's right on the level so, of discourse that he engages and in. And he can react to that. And yep. that's like a direct conversation with him. Yep. And that's not actually what I mean, like a direct conversation with him. But like yeah. those, they are, they're speaking they're like and like. Those yep. two things make sense together. So yep. when the president says or tweets something about like, I'm going to have a trans ban on military and then all these organizations are like, well, I don't even know if that's legal. I don't know if that's possible. None of that matters to Donald Trump, right? Yep. But you know what does matter? Us thinking that his dick is small slash knowing <laughs> that his dick is small. Um, that he's got to rea- react to that. Well, and I also think to myself, do you think that's also why like, – that? do you think that's why we even had any movement on North Korea? Because it's like that's oh, also wow. the you same took a thing. Hard left. What do you mean? But, th- but think about it. Think about it. It's like that – country's leader reacts that way as well he says Mm -hmm. wildly insane things for everyone else no everyone else is like i don't even know what to say about that that just doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. but trump's like i'm gonna go in i'm gonna wade in here i don't know it just feels to me as if wild attracts wild (laughs) i mean to a degree i don't don't yeah on that level obviously there's deep political stuff happening behind the scenes but just even in terms of the the conversation, right? The public conversation that's happening. I think if you are able to throw caution to the wind and engage in this sort of no holds barred conversation on Twitter, mm. you are much more likely to engage the president. He's much more likely to sort of find you compelling and be drawn in. Shit. And that's somehow where we are in 2018. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So I think Stormy Daniels is, I mean, I hate to say it because it sounds like I'm I'm judging her, but I'm not because I feel like, well, she's just as valid as he is, right? I mean, oh, I'm absolutely, a, right? Because that's the thing. I think there's a part of us, I mean, there's a part of us that wants to sort of recoil at the idea of like a porn star, right? Because not me. Obviously, there's judgment involved and all those kinds of things, but you know, this is not something when if you were growing up and you told your parents, I would like to be a porn star, it's not something your parents are going to celebrate. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely some value to how she's been able to negotiate that world, find her own power in it, and therefore feel pretty damn comfortable going up against the president of the United States and be like, listen, let's go toe to toe. Interesting. Dark worlds. I, what I find really intriguing is the way that, and maybe, I don't know if this is a function of Stormy Daniels or the information, but the absolute falling down on the legal team's part from Michael Cohen to Giuliani, who seems to be on like a, a, I don't know what he's doing on his media tour, which is basically going around just sort of not insinuating stating that the president had lied on previous, previous occasions. I just saw this morning, he's going around saying like, Oh, well, Michael Cohen may have paid off other women as well. I'm like, you're working for the president. (laughs) Maybe, But maybe not, maybe not shut up. Maybe it's just an opportunity to just get this whole thing out there. But you know because, what? This goes back to my point, though. Like, will it matter anyway? Exactly. Right? Have, he can say whatever he wants. <laughs> because, like, again, these institutions will be like, oh, well, we should react to this. And it's like, let's form a committee. And, like, while you're forming a committee, he'll tweet about something like, you know, he'll tweet some, like, upskirt photos of someone. And then that will be that. And we'll move on to the next thing. 
this media environment doesn't know what to do. And not just the immediate environment, our our government doesn't know how to react to sort of like this, um, this whiplash kind of eventing at the, at the white house. Okay. Well, Donald Trump still terrible. What I wanted to also talk to you about is last month, last month, Mark Zuckerberg went before the Congress to be questioned, harangued, lectured. It's not, it's not clear. Um, (laughs) To talk about Facebook and the growing, growing, existing concerns about privacy on the internet and Facebook, Facebook specifically, in wake of the Cambridge Analytica nightmare, where Cambridge Analytica used um, Facebook's kind of, I I don't want to say lax policies, but used Facebook to their advantage to um, call a bunch of information from millions of users. Zuckerberg went to the Hill and he had to endure hours <laughs> of questioning uh, with much more patience than any of us have when our parents call asking us, how do I set up my email? Which is basically <laughs> what a lot of that sounded like. Uh, my, question, <laughs> my question for you is, um, does that pageantry mean anything to you? I think policymaking is coming, right? I think these folks have been sort of allowed to operate kind of unfettered for a long time. And I think that the 2016 election, it's almost like, oh, wow, while we were sleeping, someone moved into our house Mm -hmm. and installed cameras in every single room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now we realize that this is a pretty big deal and we should be having a conversation about it. And so um, I think it's I think it's valuable. I think it's always valuable when businesses or any sort of any part of the corporate structure has to go in front of Washington D.C. folks and talk about what they're doing and how it impacts the the citizenry, not the consumer, because we're not consumers, we're citizens. Mm-hmm. To begin to frame that question, well, to ask that larger question, I think it's important. I think my my challenge is in the kind of landscape that is Washington, D.C. right now with the leadership that we have, will this matter? I mean, will 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 anything substantive happen or do we have to wait until a new administration comes in that is capable of even handling these larger questions? That for me is sort of the thing, right? So I feel like That's in the interim, mm-hmm. yeah, in the interim, maybe they're just going to have to begin to police themselves. I have a bigger question though. What's and it has to do with the way government works in the first place. You know, the thing about the internet is that the internet is so different than the way it was just six years ago. Someone posted online like what Facebook actually looked like seven years ago. Completely mm-hmm. unrecognizable. I know. It's crazy, completely right? unrecognizable. Remember we used to get freaked out when Facebook would update the timeline? We'd be like, I'm never using it again. But if you saw what you were using, you'd be like, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> And that was just seven years ago. And then I was describing to someone what 9-11 was like here. And that was like, what, 17 years ago mm-hmm. at the beginning of the internet? But my point is that it's changed so quickly. Yeah. Government as an institution is designed to make changes slowly, right? We don't want a government that can sweep in and make from one day to the next, like, compl- like just change over the way that we've been doing things on any one access, right? That's why we have so many checks and balances. But when you... Pair that up with a technology like the internet, which every three years becomes way different than it was the three years previous. Will government ever catch up 
to the internet and Facebook. As, and as far as self-policing goes, I mean, I think that's another topic for another time, whether that's even possible or legit. I'm beginning to get curious and concerned that government's never going to catch up to regulating the internet. And when and if it does, it's going to be ham-fisted and heavy-handed. Well, I mean, I think most people believe regulation, at least that's the that's the press that comes out about um, regulation, right? Is that it's always ham-fisted, it's always delayed, all of those things. I mean, I think- And that's, that's by the, design. We want our legislation- to, to be take time. delayed, yes, to take time. But yeah. I, I, I don't. I mean, listen, we had the printing press, right? And mm-hmm. there was some delay around that, but eventually, thing we got on target. I think that we're going. I think we're going to see the government catch up. I don't know if it. I don't know if it's maybe it's never going to be on time with the internet, right? Mm-hmm. It's always going to be somewhat staggered. But I actually think it's useful because I don't think that we're always aware of exactly what is happening in the moment. So I think a little bit of delay is helpful. Um, But I I think I do, I do understand the the hesitancy around like believing that the government will ever marshal itself and get this right. But I, I I think it will, I think, I don't know if it will get it right. I think it will attempt to. I agree with you there, but that's then, then you and I depart because what I'm saying is I don't think the government can, I think they'll try but I don't think they can. You mentioned the printing press and yeah. you mentioned, uh, you know, in revolutionary times, there were all sorts of laws. The fun fact about the founding fathers, they wrote all that bullshit about freedom of the press and then immediately started suppressing stories that were negative about them. Right. Well, and sure. passed all yeah. sorts of laws about it. They, they were trying to manage that technology in this, yeah. in the 17th and 18th centuries. Mm-hmm. And by the time they were able to figure out what worked for them, yeah. The printing pass technology had not really evolved too much past movable type. You know what I mean? Well, but, I, but by yeah. the time Congress, by the time this Congress, 2018, by the time they get on top of it and like, all right, new regulation, the internet will now be this. That's going to be four years from now. And as I said at the top of this, four it years from now, so quickly. who knows if what you just came up with is even going to make sense because we don't operate that way anymore. So I think they will attempt I just don't think they're going to be effective. I think we need to start thinking, ugh, listen, governance, we're going to, have to think about that differently because course, these other things, these other outside factors are changing our lives so quickly. And uh-huh. if government can't respond, we're going to have to turn to somebody else. And that's what freaks me out because I think that somebody else is going to be corporations. No, I, I think this is one of the, I think one of the interesting moments right now is that people have, are now fully convinced that corporations should not be the ones but who else would it this. Be if government There's no, no it. but it's not that government can't i think that this is why i think this is why we have to when you say government are you talking federal or are you talking local because i think there uh, are opportunities I, I haven't thought about i it. think there are opportunities for local governments to be much more responsive mm-hmm. because things can happen faster at that level right than at the federal level and so maybe what you're having is maybe what you're seeing is maybe a flip Maybe that that ongoing tension that's always been a part of the U.S., which is federal versus state, I think you might have to see a lot more movement at the local level because it's faster to turn things around. Yeah. It's faster to respond to things because you can actually make um, there are rules about um, Internet connectivity that can actually happen at the city level, at the mayoral level. There are lots of those things. So I think you can actually I think the question becomes, how do you engage local faster moving spaces in governing what's happening around technology. 
not the federal, because maybe uh, that process is too slow. Never but, thought about that. I don't yeah. Know effective, huh, we should dig deeper into this. How effective can local governments be in affecting something like the internet, which is global? It's not global, but think about it. It's not global when you think about the base, the basics are hardware that you need for it to work. Right. It's like if you think about it in terms of cell phone technology, in terms of how and how how wires are connected. I mean, wireless requires some wiring. Right. It's like yeah, that's not but that the information itself is all over the world. Like I, the, I'm accessing servers that are yeah. I routinely access servers and run my traffic through international servers. Not because I'm downloading anything illicit, but like, you know, <laughs> I don't necessarily want I don't necessarily don't want people tracking what I'm doing. So that's so I bounce off of two servers to to get most of my stuff. And like it's intriguing what you're saying because it's just a version of what you're always saying, Trisha, is that like we have to what go local. Always, I you're mean, always we have to go, go local. local. We like, always have when to it's go local. Like the internet, I'm just wondering if that still applies. Okay, we let's have to. Let's table this. I want to. Um, there's a quick thing that I wanted to ask you about. I'm just interviewing you today, but I <laughs> we haven't talked about any of this stuff in a long time. Michelle Wolf was oh, at yeah. the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which Trump refused to show up to or was busy or whatever. Or I think he had a rally the same night. Yeah. I think so, so priorities. And, you know, in her hilarious roast of the administration, she took time out to target the media and point out how Trump had made them rich. Mm-hmm. And now in some level, they want to cry or take him down or whatnot. But it was like, it's a weird interaction that they have because like the crazier Trump is and the more bellicose he becomes, the more money that they all make. Also, she said some things about Sarah Huckabee Sanders and other people. And pretty much a lot of people came out saying that this was inappropriate, et cetera, et cetera. You know, from the administration itself, I just want to say, shut up. First of all, this is a roast. You got roasted. From the media to the media, I want to say also, shut up. She's (laughs) absolutely right. And she pointed out in the most, she pointed it out in the most hilarious way possible. Anyway, she's just getting a lot of shit from that. And I I want to know if you, first of all, did you see it? I did. Okay. I did. I just, I watched some of her segments. The thing I'm curious about though is, can we go back historically? What is the purpose of this event? It's like, first of all, there's some aspect of that's a charity event, right? It's in support of journalists, okay. right? That's the whole idea, right? It's supposed to be in support of the First Amendment, not the, not just journalists, but and practitioners of it. Yeah. They usually have comedians come yeah. and roast yeah. the president. Now, yeah. if you're not familiar with what a roast is, it's precisely someone, it's like insult comedy. Yeah. Someone gets up and they say really terrible, really terrible things about you. If you watch like old New York comedians roast each other, it's vile. It's like rated X stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Which makes it hilarious because usually the person is sitting right there and they can take a joke because, you know, they're in on the joke. That's the whole point of it is that that's, let that's me show the you whole that point. I can take a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, so on, on that level, I'm like, everyone who's like complaining, like, she was really harsh on Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I was like, shut up. She told the truth. It was funny. Sarah Huckabee Sanders knows she's lying. Like, let's not pretend that, yeah. That's why we're roasting her, right? Because you know she's lying. She knows she's lying. Oh, we can all have a big laugh about it. So that's yeah. the purpose of the event. And then, like I said, I think there's some charity moment to it. And it's a great photo op for people to come together, whatnot, whatnot. 
I mean, that's its only purpose. If I'm wrong, someone please correct me. I mean, I think what I, I found, what I found intriguing about the event is the fact that the media that Wolf roasted is unaware that their jobs are on the chopping block by the very person that they all lined up to defend after. Like the fact that they were coming to Sarah's defense, even though she has this performance art piece in front of them weekly through these daily to these co- press conferences where they basically are forced to go into a room, sit down and listen to someone tell them versions of the truth. I'm not even sure what it is and how they even parcel through it. And then to have a comedian come in and sort of kind of shine a light on that, I would have thought that the media would have said, I mean, but I don't know, maybe let me just stop myself. Do you think they were just performing their outrage? The media? Yeah. Maybe they were just performing outrage. Like it's all a part of the big dance, right? Like I have to pretend to be really upset that you were attacking Sarah Huckabee on the other side. I really know I'm talking out of the other side of my mouth and I'm like, but this is true. Everything you're saying is true. Like it's, was that part of well, their job to made perform the, it? He kind of made the point, right? They have to come after her because then that becomes news, right? Yeah. Right. Well, Michelle, I, I, Michelle Wolf is in the news. How do you capitalize on Michelle Wolf being in the news? have a whole bunch of reports saying that people are really upset with what she's saying. You're going to click on that. It's kind of, the snake is constantly eating its own tail with the media, which I thought she pointed out in a really humorous way. No, she was on point. But the thing I was trying to figure out was how is the media going to respond to that in a way that, I mean, what, what were they? They can't they agree with her. It's, yeah, it's right? an interesting, it's an interesting binder and they can't agree with her. Like, <laughs> you know, they have to say something. Yeah. You know, they have to say, even though it was a roast and they were getting roasted too, although that point seems to be lost in everybody, they have got to come out and say like, well, that was too far because we are reporting the news and it's not about us making money. It's about us reporting the news. Like they have to be, they have to come down on that side. Unfortunate for all of us because some people are going to buy that act. Well, yeah, I mean, that was the part of it that I I, I started thinking about. And I was like, well, you kind of have, if you want to re- maintain your presence in whatever these rooms are as a media person, then you kind of have to sort of perform outrage, right? Because mm-hmm. if you seem like you agree, then maybe that already you become the outlier and you become the person that will not gain access. So everyone mm-hmm. has to perform it, regardless of whether it's true or not. Like, I don't, I don't know if it was possible for you to have a different reaction from that, which is why I, I'm, I'm actually starting to wonder. And this is hilarious. I'm starting to wonder if this event even makes sense in, in an administration such as the one that we have. Does an event like this make sense anymore? Because it all feels like performance. I feel like in the past, like during the Clinton and even the Bush and the Obama years, I feel like watching it, or portions of it, I always got the sense that it was a night where we all agreed that this is a performance. Yeah. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Like Bush would get up to be like, I'm acting like the president. You know, like I know that part of my presidential duties is to act out the role of the president. And we're all going to talk about that tonight and yeah. the rest of my administration. And same thing with Obama, right? Mm-hmm. Like he got up there and he did his thing. Now, when the administration, the presidency is nothing but mm-hmm. a performance, this yeah. feels superfluous. Yes, yes. It feels like an extension of normal business because realistically, yes. the White House Correspondents' Dinner, now supposedly, now, you know, listen, the White House Correspondents' Association is an association of journalists who cover the White House. 
and the mm -hmm. President of the United States. It's a pretty old organization, it's 1914. Now, apparently the organization supposedly was created in response to a rumor, supposedly, this is that the president was going to decide which journalists were going to cover the White House. So mm -hmm. they themselves, they took it upon themselves to craft a body that was going to do that themselves. So in some ways, it's like they maintain their independence, right? I'm independent of the president. But I think one of the things that's always been interesting is that this was supposed to be the night when they were no longer adversaries, right? Mm -hmm. That's Because supposedly that's the relationship between you know, the press and the government, right? It's slightly adversarial. But then mm. this was supposed to be a night when we drop all of that, put on a nice outfit and get together and sort of kid and josh at each other. That supposedly was what the White House Correspondents' Dinner has always come across and represented to me. Mm. But when you have a kind of administration that feels like... <laughs> It feels like they're antagonistic all the time or they're almost in on some sort of bizarre joke. Then this dinner doesn't seem as compelling. I remember it being quite compelling during the Obama years. It got a fun. lot of traction. It got a lot of traction at least. And it never, I mean, because I think what ended up happening was it's all, it, it was all based on the White House response. And so in the Obama years, the White House was not always probably happy with how things were characterized, but they never sort of, they never pushed at it because they understood they understood the role of the event. But I think what's interesting is that this White House refuses to be the butt of any joke, even though it invites well, that. Because they're, they are a joke. And so if you if you start making jokes, the truth becomes a little apparent. Like none of the work they're doing is substantial. Mm -hmm. You know you know what I mean, though, right? Like I'm sure the Republicans are moving their agenda forward. But like I think especially with Trump at the head, everything that he's doing is a joke. There's no substance there. So to point mm -hmm. out there's no substance there isn't a joke. It feels like a critique. You come at Obama with that or Bush with that, and those are two men who had agendas for their administration, right? So you can joke all, all you want about how Bush is stupid or how uh, Obama is drone man. Um, at the end of the day, they, they know what they're doing. Like it's not a performance. Mm -hmm. They have goals. But this one, this, this, the executive branch doesn't. So I, I, that's, these aren't jokes, they're, they're critiques and they, they land differently. Well, and supposedly, I mean, part of the act too, which is what's interesting about the fact that you haven't, you have had the president fail to show up in the last couple of years, which has changed the nature of the event somewhat, because traditionally it was an opportunity for the president to poke fun at himself. Mm -hmm. And I have to say himself, because it's always been him, the president to poke fun at himself in front of this group, right? But mm -hmm. you've had a president who has no sense of humor about himself, so he hasn't been able to show up. And so maybe that's also changed the tenor of the event a little bit, because maybe. you have the host choosing not to be there. You <laughs> yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't, and so then I think <laughs> it becomes really like a caustic evening, because the person who was actually supposed to be in the room was like, I can't handle joking about myself, right? Mm -hmm. That's what he like. I'm not going to stand up here and sort of humiliate myself. But apparently, but you uh, know, apparently, the event is really supposed to be um, like a scholarship thing for journalism. Okay. I think, like like many things that have happened in during this presidency, I think it's going to end. Mm -hmm. If the president doesn't show up to the dinner that he's supposed to be hosting, why do you keep having it? So I, I wonder if, I think before the end of the four years, we, we won't have those dinners anymore. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, we probably, at the end of the four years, I don't know how much of this stuff is going to still be standing, but. <laughs> uh, 
moving on. Uh, there's That's one <laughs> last thing. And so there's one last thing I want to check in with you about, which might be a longer topic, but so the thing that's happened uh, recently was that in Philadelphia, two black men who were waiting for their friend were, uh, had the police called on them because by the store manager, because they had not ordered anything and two units of police showed up and escorted the men out and arrested them for, and it was very unclear like what they had done. Uh, they hadn't done anything. And then last week, two Native American brothers were checking out a Colorado college. They were on the tour. They made a white woman, quote unquote, nervous. So she called the police on them. And the police descended on the tour, removed the boys and detained them. And now I'm just seeing this story about, um, yep, a black woman was, black women were checking out their Airbnb in California. A white neighbor saw them and waved to them. The black women didn't wave back. So of course the white women called the police, police car showed up, a police helicopter um, began tracking them. I, you know, and maybe, I, I sh- maybe I'll cut all this part out because I feel like this is a whole topic we can spend a full 20 minutes on as opposed to like the five to eight we've been running. I'm simultaneously speechless and exhausted and enraged. I just take it away. All at the same time. Um... What's happening? Okay, so I need a question, right? My question is, Trisha, my question is this. What in the living fuck, okay, <laughs> from every direction, what in the living fuck? Because number one, or now I'm, now I'm ready to go. Number one, right? This kind of shit isn't new. It's been happening forever, right? And let me, listen up, America. Listen up, white people. Do not ever come to me again and say, is it really that bad? Don't. <laughs> you're you're gonna get a face full of something, all right? I'm mad as hell. Okay. Two, is there any space that people of color can occupy with white people where we're not automatically a threat? Like, is there anything that we can do not to placate white people in white spaces, right? But I, I just don't know how we're supposed to exist. Like, constantly bowing and scraping. And three, since when? Do white people get to claim every goddamn space, right? From Starbucks to colleges to just random neighborhoods in California. Like, how does, I mean, is there some sort of ribbon cutting? Like, how do we know what the white spaces are? Like, I don't, okay, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I exploded all over the place. You Any have. You Can have. you um, structure me, please? Sure. I mean, let's, um, but let's back up in it. First of all, I'm curious about the solution to discomfort here. Calling of the cops, calling of the cops. I'm uncomfortable. I think we know what the solution, I don't think anyone would admit it, but I mean, the rise of um, unarmed people of color being killed in the past couple of years, I think we kind of know what comfort people are seeking. What are they seeking? Deep down, do you think, do you think that, well, listen, but let me, let me also ask you, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you also, because I remember, I remember after the Columbine shooting, you know, Michael Moore did his, his big ass movie called mm-hmm. Columbine. And he talked about the culture of fear in the United States, right? And then you know that we have a candidate that ran on the very idea that you should be afraid. They are mm-hmm. really out to kill you. They're really out to get you, right? That's really the fear-based, like that's, that's a fear-based thinking that I think has guided everything now. Like, who's out to get you? It might be this, it might be your neighbor. It's, um, it's definitely the people that are black and brown. They're definitely don't belong here. So if you see them in a space, 
you probably need to do something. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like that's been activated on by people who should know better and are and and in some sense are to be held responsible. Because why why would Joe Schmo America not respond that way when they're getting signals from the leaders of the country that that's okay, that that you mm-hmm. should be afraid? Like, right? But I mean, because that's the thing. My first point was like, this is also not new. But no, this but has it's been different. Going on since the sixties, before that. But it's different. It's different. It's different when there might be language that's used in the main in the mainstream media that says, "Check yourself, crazy person." But that's not really the language that's being used now. It, there's a there's been a legitimatizing of fear, which is why I think you're seeing more. And I don't even know if you're seeing more of these incidences, or maybe the incidences are just being captured now. Let me and let then, me challenge and you then though, right? spun out on you. I want you to I want you to be a little bit more specific because, like, I think you're trying to describe something that's different now. Right? I'm not describing what is that thing. What is that thing that's I'm, different now? What's the legitimization? I'm asking, no, I'm asking. Uh, first of all, I'm asking: Is it different, uh, or is it because we can visually we can visualize it now? The media technology has allowed us to see it. It's been happening. It's always happened, but now it's part of regular news because now, like news content, is driven by the public. Right? The public takes a picture of something and it becomes part of news. So now we're all seeing it. So we can ask the question, is it happening more than it had in the past? Or is it just not? I have a picture of it. I have video footage of it, right? So it's like video footage. Then the, think- then the second question is, or the second point I think might be, is whether it's happening more or less, I don't know. But the second thing is, I feel like qualitatively, you have um, government officials and people who are quote unquote the responsible adults in the room kind of nodding and winking at the idea that yes, you should be afraid of your neighbor. Yes. You should be afraid of anyone that looks different from you because our policy now articulates that in some ways are, um, I Our mean, policy articulated that when we interned a bunch of Japanese Americans. But that exactly. But 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 let's be honest. Nobody's sitting around thinking about Japanese internment every day. But we are having an <laughs> ongoing. Yeah, Japanese the Japanese are. are <laughs> Japanese are maybe. But let's not. But let's not be dismissive in that way. In the sense okay. that, oh well, yeah, it happened. Of course, it happened. Well, but my, we are having an ongoing dialogue yeah. daily my about who belongs in the U.S. and who doesn't. What I'm what I'm trying to pull out of what you're saying, though, right, is that like. For me, like you, you asked about difference. I feel like this sort of thing has been happening since segregation ended. It's another sure. way to enforce segregation, right? Sure. So like, and then from that era, we have a whole bunch of images of dogs being set on people, of people having soft drinks poured over their heads while sitting at lunch counters. Like we've seen this kind of aggression from white people in quote unquote white spaces before. The question you're asking is that, is it the immediacy of the the exchange of images that is somehow giving giving rise to a different feeling. I think what I hope is that it's showing people that this is systemic and it's not just one racist community here or one crazy bitch who lives down the street who called the police. I hope people are seeing that it's systemic, but honestly, I don't think that, I don't think this is any different from business as usual. I think we're just hearing about it not even every time, but more often because it's newsworthy, you know, whatever that means. Listen, when I was a teenager, I was stopped twice walking in my own neighborhood. 
And I was stopped, I mean, in my neighborhood now in New York, I remember when I first moved here, I was, when the place wasn't so integrated, I was stopped by the police. I don't know, Trish. My instinct is to believe, my sense, my sense is to believe that in a country where gun violence is happening daily Mm -hmm. and you cannot control it, right? Or we could, but we're not. Yes, thank you. I was just going to correct you. We could, but we're not, right? We're not because your right to everybody's right to bear arms is is sacrosanct, right? So if that's the case, then if that's the case, and then you create a culture of fear about people who look and sound like me or you or um, anyone that's different from you, Mm -hmm. it just feels like this is bound to happen and increase in frequency more and more because you live in a culture of fear now. Right. And then you also have an administration that propagates the idea that this is a fearful time, that everyone is out to get you at every single moment. I just I feel like it's a pressure cooker situation. It's bound to these things are bound to happen. Uh Oh, I saw a strange person in your neighborhood. I mean, isn't this also part of the, the larger see something, say something culture? Like, that's the thing. I mean, it's like, I think about those combinations. It's like, see something, say something, rampant use of guns in any interaction or the possibility for you to possess it. Mm -hmm. You're fear-based, you're fear-driven. I'm afraid. It's just my problem is I don't think to call the cops on a situation. I'm always afraid. Who isn't walking around the United States afraid? Because at the end of the day, we know that we can... Anytime we step out of the door, it could be our last moment, right? Because somebody could just choose to wield a gun that day. Which I but feel I like know what hard. I do. I know what I do with that fear, though. I simply manage it because I know it's not okay for me to trump on someone's rights just because I'm afraid. Well, but I think other well, there's groups a vast of people amount of people who believe differently, yeah. who believe differently, right? And maybe not as cogently as you put it, but somewhere deep down because of the acceptance of the culture of fear like you were describing. I do think there's a culture of fear. I'm agreeing with you. I think because deep down they accept this culture of fear, like that just seems like the thing that you should do. Like, oh, there's a black man. Uh, He makes me uncomfortable. Uh, Let me call the police. And just, you know, just to be safe. And it's just this weird, there's a lot of coding that's happening in there. Um, I presented this topic and didn't really have a question, just a rant. I guess I just want to rant about this. Um, and it's horrible and it's, it's demoralizing and it's, and it's, I mean, and it's hard I'm about those kids. And I think it's hard for white people to understand this because I think what you are saying about walking around in fear, I think it's hard for white people to really understand what that looks like. Um, and just how I mean, like you, because what they're walking around in fear too. Right. But I mean, they think they, no, they, they find a way to mitigate it by getting are, cops to help them. Different kind of fear. Like, I mean, okay. It's America. So we all have the fear that at any moment you can be anywhere and someone's going to take out a gun and just start shooting. Right. But my fear is added like in the sense that I could just, I could be the white, I could be the black guy who makes some white woman upset. The police arrive. I'm startled. And then I'm dead. Like that's something that can happen. And, you know, I talk to white people and they're like, oh, come on. It wouldn't happen like that. Even though the evidence of my senses tells me it can happen exactly like that. Exactly like that. I can be, I can be pulled over on the side of the road and be shot dead. I could be standing outside my hotel on 42nd street and be tackled to the ground by police officers. Like this kind of stuff happens all the time. 
And I think it's hard for white people to understand this environment where things can go from absolutely normal to dead in a moment. You know, like these black women who had the police called on them, who knows? Those police showed up, who knows? Who's trigger happy? What yeah. happened? Who knows anything? what happened to them? Yeah. And, you know, and then the police also reacting to the situation itself. You're a police officer. You show up. There's six other cars. There's a helicopter in the sky. Like, what are you primed to do when you see that? You know, yeah, you're going to put your hand on your pistol because why else would there be this kind of police response? Like, it's just the setup of it is so, I was going to say awkward, but it's beyond awkward. It's uneven and it's flat out racist. But how also, do we? Let's, let's ask mm-hmm. that question though. I feel like we need to get to a place where people on un- people understand that each group's interaction with the police is different. So you might want to bring the police into it, which is, I mean, I just don't understand why you're bringing the police in these spaces. But obviously, I mean, you bring the like police in the these top, spaces because I you believe understand. the police. I think I mean, people understand why they're bringing the police into these spaces. Okay, see, I get it. See what I see. I'm, I get that. I get that the initial impulse is to go there, right? Which is, I this person, I want this person to be removed, and I don't care how it happens. Yes. However, I also believe that part of that is because, in your mind, the police is, um, is refuge. Right mm-hmm. for the white person, they have been reared to believe, and many well-meaning whites say it. So I'm going to take them at their words that the police is a, an avenue of safety. They're there to protect me. They're, ma- they're there to make sure that things go well. That's what they, that's what the police represents for them. The police is a sort of a form of a superhero for them, right? Mm-hmm. Things are going to be better once the police show up. But other groups have been saying to the majority culture, that's not our experience of the police. Our experience of the police is not an is not avenue of safety. It's not comfort. So if you if we have this experience of the police and you have another experience of the police, you have to be thoughtful about bringing the police into non lethal situations. Like, yeah. why is the police the only the only possible way of kind of mediating these experiences. Like I, that's a, like the two Native American boys. Why wouldn't you as a parent feeling uncomfortable go to the tour guide, pull the tour guide and say, do these boys belong on this tour? Like why wouldn't you alleviate that fear and anxiety that way? Again, though. Like why I'm not do on. that? You have to move on. You know why though? Because the tour guide isn't going to understand the same codes. Like They are going to understand the tour guide is the same race. Most likely. No, 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 no. They may be the same race. Yes, fine. Let's give that. But I'm a white person who calls the police and I go, hey, I see some boys here that make you uncomfortable. You know, they're dark. Like there's a lot that's coded in there. Like I'm calling the police and these people are dark. Mm -hmm. And I know it sounds, it might sound very dramatic, but Everyone no, knows Everyone knows why I'm calling, right? Yeah, the tour guide isn't going to do what I need done here. They might, though, because this is the thing. Not the to the gu- way that I want it done. Well, we'll see what you're... But let me, let me just be balls out and ask you. Mm-hmm. Are you basically saying that every single one of these interactions is about the white person removing the black person from their space? Yes, and I want to be clear. I'm not saying murder. I'm not saying people are calling the police with murder on their mind. But what they're calling for is like, we under, I understand that you understand, right? We live in the same culture and black people 
uh, and other don't belong here. They're undesirable. Uh, I know that they can be incarcerated because most, you know, a lot of them are. I understand the way this process works. And that's why I'm calling is because I need you to come and do what you do. And we all know that you do it. Mm-hmm. The tour guide, right? Even if the tour guide was white, isn't empowered in the same way. And I think everyone knows that. The white woman who called the police knew the police would arrive, knew that those kids would be removed. And it would have nothing to do with whether they belong there or not. The police would assume that they don't belong there. They wouldn't even ask them the question, which the tour guide might have. That's my point. People's interaction with police, I think on one level, Trish, what you're saying when you say that people need to understand that different races have interactions with police, I'm saying that there's they a know. crop of white people <laughs> that know precisely that our interactions are different. And that's why they're able to call them to police, quote unquote, white spaces. When that Starbucks manager called the police saying, um, there's some guys here, some black guys here who haven't bought anything. She knew exactly what she was doing. She wasn't mm-hmm. going to be questioned. If she said, oh, there, there's a quiet white guy here and he hasn't bought anything, the police would have been it, – this would have been completely – completely different thing but the the thing that's so but the thing that's ironic about all of this is that if you're going to engage in profiling i mean you're profiling for the right reasons i guess or for the wrong reasons right because if your fear is that you're going to be killed you're actually not profiling the right groups of people because that's not what's happening because that's the rational argument that's often offered right I was scared. And, you know, we live in a society where anything can happen nowadays. But I'm like, but who's doing the things that you are worried about? Who's taking guns and going into spaces and blowing people away? What's the profile of that person? (laughs) And how are you responding to that in a logical fashion? Right. Because it's not going to be those two Native American kids. That's I mean, and so that's that's the next frontier. That's the next frontier is understanding that getting people to understand that. All right, so we, basically, yeah. the police are being employed to keep spaces white. Yep. We should admit to it. Uh, I think people are admitting to it now. I think that's what's going on. I think that's going to be a hard thing for white people, especially liberal white people, to admit. And now that I'm thinking about it, there's a lot more that you and I can talk about with this. So I want to table this. And uh, like I suspected, we went on way too long about this. So. Yeah, it's fine. But uh, and we're going to come back to this because I think this topic is really interesting. So uh, we are going to move on to media recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced. You think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Trisha, do you have anything that's really... Okay, um, so I saw this thing weeks ago, and it's still on my mind because it was a doozy. And I'm damn happy I saw it. And I was on a flight which is apparently how I'm seeing anything nowadays. Because just the way anyone sees anything nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, you're trapped there. So. Yeah, you literally have to be trapped to get me to watch a movie. If it's I like know. A Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> much. So I saw season one of this show that a bunch of people have been talking about for years, but I, you know, I just ignore it. And then when it comes on my radar, I'm like, oh my God, I missed the boat. But I saw season one of Broadchurch, the British one, not the American one. The British one. What is that? It's an investigation show. It stars David Tennant, who used to be the Doctor Who. It is absolutely, you know, you're watching a show and you're like, this is good. And then the end happened and you're like, oh, yeah, this is good. (laughs) What a vague review. (laughs) So 
this is the episode. It's basically the corpse of an 11-year-old British boy. Danny Latimer is found bloodied and dirtied on an idyllic beach in a small Dorset community. And it becomes the focus of police investigation. An out-of-town detective comes in and works with someone who is from the town, who happens to actually be the mother of the best friend of the boy that was found. And Hmm. she's the detective. And they work together to try to solve the crime. Hmm. And it's just like an unfolding tale of like the community's relationships with each other, the cop's own history about like a case that he had messed up in the past. But it's this like really involving tale that just spirals until the very end and you're just left going, oh my God, I cannot believe that's the conclusion. Now, I've heard since then that season two is atrocious, but what's great about this is that I think you can re- you could just watch season one and be completely happy about it. That was my question. Is this going to be like a lost situation where like no, the show's a hit not. and then they're like, oh shit, we can never mm-hmm. find out who really killed the boy. You know, stretch it out into like eight more years because I'm no, not interested no, in that. No, 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 no. The thing that I will let you know is the murder of the the the, the boy is you find it's out solved. about it. It's solved, which yeah. I love. I enjoy that. that. It, that's what I love. I love when that happens. I don't like it when it bleeds into multiple seasons. Who can care? Um, like, I, you, it's, it's a after a while, yeah. yeah, yeah, they feel they feed that it happens. But I, what I think is interesting about it is it's very Twilight Zone-ish. Oh. You know, it's Twilight Zone-ish in the sense that what is one what is one bad thing reveals about a supposedly idyllic community, right? And how mm-hmm. that mush, you know, that you know what that looks like. You start pulling that mushroom out and it's like, mm-hmm. oh my God, there so it just tells you a lot about small towns, right? And who those people really are and the secrets and all of that. It's just it's so good. It's really involving, really engaging. I highly recommend it. Season one is I'm only going to take responsibility for season one. I don't, that's all I'm saying. You wash your hands of the rest of it. I um, wash my hands of the other seasons. Apparently, it's like it's it's had multiple seasons. I think apparently there's been like several seasons. Well, but I'll add it to my growing list of shows that I have to that you have not watched, watch. right? I watch anything. Which brings me to my recommendation. What's your recommendation? Which is nothing. I'll tell you this. I have. Oh, you're horrible. I'm horrible. I'm horrible. I knew this was coming up, and I looked at all the stuff that I've been reading. None mm-hmm. of it's been that interesting. All the stuff that I've been watching, none of it's really been that new or that interesting. I've seen a couple of things, but nothing that really like rocked my world that I would demand that other people see. With the possible exception of Infinity War, which if you if you're hearing my voice right now and you thought the movie was for you, you've already seen it. So. you know what i mean infinity war is not a movie you're sitting around being like i'm gonna weigh my options like either you've seen it already or you're Mm -hmm. not seeing it right so i really you know honestly trish in this like in the summer like lead up i find myself i I don't know if i know if it's a time change or me like my schedule different Mm -hmm. but i watch far less tv whenever i start reading i immediately want to go to sleep right (laughs) and especially this time of year like i always think of as the end of the school year Mm-hmm. Um, I only, I don't want to listen to new music. I don't know what it is about spring that I just want to like be completely comforted in things that I know, but <laughs> sorry to say it, everyone. I'm boring as hell. I'm You're as boring right. as hell. I will say this, right. And, uh, I have thoughts about it and it's, it's just new. And I just saw it right before we taped is Childish Gambino's new video. This is America. It's really powerful. And 
I would like everyone to go watch it. It's actually, you know, it's interesting you say that. There's somebody on my timeline that watched the first 20 seconds of it and then stopped and has, and I've always really respected her opinions. And so she really feels like it's violence porn. Okay. Okay. Mm. You know, there's a lot of mixed. There's know. a lot to unpack in what he's doing there. Mm-hmm. But like anyone who says that it's violence porn isn't really paying attention. You know, there's a lot of different interpretations and people are still combing through for all the imagery. But the thing that really stuck with me is that he presents himself and other black people in the video as sort of like these jovial dancing people while there is like this entire violent landscape <laughs> around them, yeah. right? And that is how black people exist. And that's how we exist in America, not just black people, but all of us and the expectations of black people and people, especially like him to continue to entertain while all this shit is going on. I thought it was is that really, your take. That's one of my takes. I'm still parsing it through. I'm still like reading what other people are reading and saying about it. Um, it's still very new. I wasn't going to bring it up because I'm really not prepared to like dive in. Yeah, wax poetic about my thoughts about it. But it's it's just very powerful. I know it moved me. I'm going to remember it for a long time. So there it is. This is America by Childish Gambino. Also, watch the cold open of Saturday Night Live uh, with him as the host. Uh, Stormy Daniel shows up. It's amazing. I saw that segment. Yeah. She shows up. She was nervous as hell. She forgot the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> live from New York. It's Saturday Life. Okay, Stormy. It's fine. I know, but I was just happy that she was there. I'm happy that she's getting these 50 And that is our show. So we're going to do another one. Yes, two weeks from now. Um, <laughs> give us a break us we're gonna go through the summer more in store please start listening to us again you know get your mom to listen to us again or not um, or you know what or not <laughs> fuck you guys oh my god right? that's horrible thank you right? we can't live our lives we can't live our lives <laughs> anyway you're yes anyway we'll just be better about taping but no always know that our lives could take over. <laughs> it's hardly comforting. It doesn't really explain anything. <laughs> sort of like, so we're, we're two weeks, we're every two weeks until uh, we get too busy. No, yeah. we won't, we'll do our very best. We're going to try and post a schedule so you know when to expect us and when to expect that we run and yada, 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 all this bullshit. All right, everybody. Uh, and Trisha, take care, my dear. Enjoy the California sun. Mm, will do. Bye. Bye.